You're listening to The John Chi Show, hosted by three Korean-American adoptees diving headfirst into what it means to be adopted, Korean, American, and more. And now, here's your hosts, Nathan, Patrick, and KJ. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to The John Chi Show. It is just I, KJ, uh, because we all just got back from California and we're all tired and i guess i drew the short end of the stick by you know working from home and not having any kids and that kind of stuff so it's just me uh before we get into it to too much um i just wanted to give a shout out and a thank you to aka san francisco and all of the aka california chapters uh who brought us out to be their big headliner uh, on the night. Definitely give them a follow at AKA San Francisco if you're in the Bay Area or if you want to be like apparently all of Minnesota and just fly out and crash the party. Um, it was really wild to meet a bunch of adoptees from really all over the place, even some from across the pond uh, for what I thought was uh, just a regional event. So that was really cool. And I'm sure that if you were following the right people, you either heard and saw lots about it on your social media handles or you totally missed it because who knows who you follow, honestly. Uh, but today we have a really fantastic interview with Katie Janella. Katie Janella comes from San Diego by way of Atlanta, Georgia, and uh, just shares with us her journey in this whole adoption space. Uh, we talk a lot about motherhood. We talk a lot about giving grace and her story really breaks down in me uh, some monolithic ideas that I might have held about our own community. And so it was a really, really fantastic interview, and I can't wait for you guys to hear it. So without further ado, I'm going to roll that tape. Welcome back to the John Chi Show. We are here with our interview portion of the show. We have a very special guest today, Katie Janella. Thank you so much for showing up and for for joining. I know showing up because we are doing video this time. <laughs> But uh, <laughs> anytime. I'm, thank you for having me. Happy to be here. <laughs> I'm glad I showed up. <laughs> yes. Thank you. Thanks for, for showing up to your scheduled interview time. Really appreciate it. <laughs> I didn't pick it or anything. It's fine. Yeah. It's yeah. not like you were like, this time oh. actually works best for me. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Hilarious. Well, you know, we, we have kids. You know how it is. I, it's school time, right? School's just started. So, yep. but um, <laughs> so I'm in that mode. But no, thank you. Uh, thank you for. Um, coming on the show and uh, yeah we are happy to have you here like all the shows we start with pretty much um, you know your introduction and you can tell us your story um, as much or as little as you would like to okay um, I currently am in San Diego I'm 39 and I was adopted at five months old out of Easter from Eastern Child Welfare Society uh, when I was five months old I was actually supposed to come at three months I got sick which I hear is kind of common and came over at five months. Um, my parents are extremely Catholic, uh, very traditional Catholic. So I was baptized by fire, right? When I was adopted, just <laughs> Catholic school mass twice a week. I was an altar server, um, knee deep in Catholicism. And I think that that played a big role in, in the rest of my life and my choices and, um, definitely in my dealing with adoption. I tell people that I feel like if I was to adopt a baby from Pakistan or Russia, I would immediately indoctrinate the culture of where they came from into their daily life. And my parents didn't really feel like that was important. Um, I do kind of blame Eastern a little bit. They didn't have the resources for my parents back then like they do now, but I kind of feel like it's sort of common sense too. Uh, my parents thought once they adopted me, I was white. That's it. So, you know, there's no eating Korean food. I didn't hold a chopstick until I was in college. You know, I would ask to try on Korean clothing, go to Korean school. And they said, no, you're, you're American. So that was a little tough growing up, especially in Georgia, where it was very suburban. Um, any school I ever went to, because it was all Catholic schools, I was the only Asian. And I grew up desperately wanting to be just a white blonde chick from Georgia. So that was, <laughs> that was, that was difficult. I mean, looking back now, I'm so happy I'm different. And I try to tell my kids that being different is so much better, but you know, then it was, it was really tough. Um, and I think that 
growing up, you don't really, you know, now we have like Dr. Phil and TikTok, which teaches you like, you know, this is what this mental health problem is and this mental health problem. But back then I didn't understand, you know, like attachment and abandonment type issues that I feel like we all kind of have being adopted. We don't trust easily and we're afraid everyone's going to leave us. So we kind of grip onto the people that we love, almost suffocating them sometimes, I feel like. Mm-hmm. And, um, I went to high school, graduated high school, went to college and I got pregnant from a guy that I had really just met, uh, when I was 19. And I immediately thought, well, this guy is giving me attention. He must love me. So I immediately, immediately clung on to him and got married knowing it was not the right idea. Married him at 21, had two more kids and looking back, um, I know that it was definitely because of my, I need someone to love me and just be there all the time for me and show me to show up, you know, all the time for me. And even though he didn't, the bare minimum made me feel like that, you know? So I left a nine year marriage. Um, it was extremely abusive and I took it because I just thought, you know, Catholic roots, you don't get divorced. You just kind of make stuff happen. You work it all out. And I got divorced and I thought, well, I'm 29 and I have three kids. So I guess I'll just become like a dog lady. You know, I'll just adopt a bunch of dogs. You know, I'll just like live in the country somewhere in Georgia. You know, like no guy's going to want a chick with three kids, right? So I'll just call it a day. And then I met my now husband and um, he basically adopted my daughter. Um, And two of the three kids live with us full time. My other son, we share custody and then we have a baby together. And luckily he's done wonderful things for my daughter and um, been a huge support system for both of us trying to figure out and navigate all this. Moving from Georgia, Florida to San Diego has been a giant culture shock. You know, (laughs) being in Atlanta, there was like no Asians. And like today was my son's first day of first grade. And I showed up and I was like, holy shit. It's all Asian. It is literally all. Like, There's no I mean, diversity there are, in the other direction. I don't yeah. understand. Right. Right. My husband even said, I'm the minority. And I was like, yeah, bitch, how's it feel? You know? <laughs> but, <laughs> but like his class, there's 24 kids and there's only four non-Asian children wow, in his wow. class. It's wild. So it's cool. You know, it's great. But, you know, like my daughter says, you experience reverse. You know, we are not white and we are not. Asian, Asian, you know, so we're kind of in this gray area that kind of stinks. We don't speak Korean, which I totally wish I did. My daughter has taught herself a lot of it, which is cool. Um, but it's like this weird, you know, they, they look at you and they're like, okay, so we know you're not a real deal, but we know you're not white. So where, where do we place you kind of thing? So, um, so yeah, but moving here has been good, best food, best weather, best beaches. But that's been a little difficult adjusting. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. I mean, I, a lot of what you said, I definitely I was thinking, gosh, that's exactly how I felt when I was being raised in Oklahoma too, very white. And I was trying to figure out, um, you know, why my parents didn't add some culture into raising me and things like that as well. Um, because they did have resources. I mean, yeah, they didn't have internet. We had, you know, I joke on the show that we had Britannica, you know, encyclopedia, but, but <laughs> yeah. the, the agency should have had information about our countries, about our, you know, mm-hmm. our, our, our places of birth and for them not to provide more information or at least some resources or things than at least as far as I know, my, they didn't get anything other than like, you know, goodbyes and you know like that. I don't think they had any yeah. packets about Korea. Um, and I really wish, uh, you know, that there was more, uh, introduction and my parents, even today now, of course, after I've started this podcast and all the, the new, you know, um, areas that I've gone into, they, they continually say to me, like they, they wish and they regret not mm-hmm. introducing that culture to me more when I was a kid. And it, it hurts me because it wasn't my fault and I don't think it was their fault. It was just the, the, okay. the unfortunate system at the time, they just, it was all about assimilation, blend in, not about, you know, education <laughs> and, you know, respect your culture. So, um, are you, you know, you said it's a big change from Florida to, or Georgia, Florida to, uh, California. Um, how has that also been for your kids? Do you, I mean, do you see, you know, changes in their lifestyles and stuff And that, I mean, are they like 
you know, happier as well? And are you happier? And what, I mean, what is that like um, making that kind of a move? Um, I think we're all happier now. I think it took some adjustment. It's been almost three years. I think it just takes a couple of years to adjust. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I do miss Southern food and <laughs> Southern hospitality. Oh my God. Whenever I go back and see my parents, the first step stop I go to is Waffle House because I'm oh, obsessed with okay. Waffle House. Um, ah, so good. But uh, I think, you know, I, one of my friends told me, and this totally changed my perspective. She said, San Diego will never be Atlanta and Atlanta will never be San Diego. So you've got to get over it. You got to stop comparing. You've got to just appreciate where you are and move on. Mm-hmm. And I was like, you know what? That's totally a good mindset to have. You're like, so I guess as soon as I did that, that bad. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I mean, the food is pretty freaking great here, but I just <laughs> miss, I miss home, you know, but I also think making me move out of my comfort zone and doing something different was really good for me for growth. Um, and going back to a little bit, what we talked about, um, with our parents, I've done this thing and it embarrasses my kids so much, but whenever we're out and I see an adoptee with their parent, their American parent, I immediately cry every time I cry like in a second and we were just in Ireland and my daughter and I were in urban outfitters in Dublin. Like, of course we go to the American store in Ireland. Right. <laughs> so we're there and my daughter wants to try some stuff on. So I was like, okay, cool. So I'm standing out in the dressing room and I see a little girl. She's probably 13 or 14 with her mom. And I was like, Oh God. And my daughter was like, Oh God. Oh no. Like you're going to do it again. And I was like, I'm, I can't help it. Like, I just, I, I get so emotional. Cause I think I know what they're thinking right? Like I feel so weird in this body and everybody knows this is I'm adopted and I don't, I kind of don't know what's going on inside. Right. So I like beelined for her mom. And I sat down next to her on this couch I'm waiting for. And I said, um, uh, your daughter is beautiful. And she said, thank you. And I said, um, so is she adopted? And she said, yeah. And by the end of our daughter's trying stuff on 20 minutes later, we're both bawling on the couch and I was like, I'm so sorry I did this to you, like on a day you're shopping and having fun with your daughter. <laughs> but I think that when we see anybody, when you see somebody who you feel like is going through the same trauma as you have, or you are, you just feel like these heartstrings pulled, you know? And I do think it's easier for me to get through that, coming full circle here, uh, living in San Diego where there's so many Asians. And when I see an Asian, I'm not like, Oh my God, are you adopted? What's going on with you? Where are you from? What's your name? You know, so it is a little easier and acceptance is much better here in Florida. Um, we were called chink a lot, of course. Um, our neighbors asked if we spoke English to my white husband. Um, so that was interesting. Um, but yeah, here there's just a lot more acceptance, which is great. It's nice to find community like that. You know, and to be able to blend in, I just got back from a trip to Korea the second time that I've been back. And the biggest thing for me is the ability to just exist, kind of take the mask off that you develop and and wear when you have to navigate predominantly white space. And that's the only space that you know. And I think a big part of the identity journey for adoptees is being able to find that space. And I know a lot of us won't have that opportunity or don't get the privilege of being able to relocate to somewhere that has, you know, uh, a even more diverse community of people, not even just other Asian people, but just not predominantly white. I think it is such a huge thing, profound thing to be able to find yourself in a place that not only other people look like you, but everybody looks different, you know? And mm-hmm. I think that is an opportunity to to grow. And for some people it's like, it can be scary. It can be scary to find yourself in that space too. Um, you talked about how people have been, other Asian folks have been clocking you as not real Asian or not really, really Asian. And I just wanted to say that one, you are really Asian. Your whole family is really <laughs> Asian. Um, and don't ever let anybody tell you differently. It's just a different experience. Like you, like your friend said, you know, living in Atlanta and living in San Diego are just diff. It's just different. It's not mm-hmm. like you can't necessarily, you can play the comparative game, but it's just, it gets difficult at a certain point because it's like, they are so entirely opposite, literally geographically, but then mm-hmm. culturally the types of community that are there. Um, how have you found yourself just engaging with culture specifically 
now that you find yourself having to navigate when other Asian people are trying to maybe label you as something that you don't necessarily feel yourself? How do you feel yourself like finding ways and navigating the different aspects of the culture that you want to to take part in? Well, just yesterday, the kids and I went to Korean barbecue. Mm. Uh, my husband was traveling, so I went to Korean barbecue because it's so delicious here. And the server, we ordered and I order with my American accent. I don't, you know, obviously can't speak. And she looked at me and was like, what? And I was like, oh, uh, number 27, you know, like, Mm. and I feel myself apologizing, like overly apologizing because Mm. I don't know if it's rude. I don't know if it's disrespectful or they look at me as a joke. So I just constantly am apologizing. Um, and that's difficult, you know, cause it's not my fault it's not her fault either for being confused why I look like I'm Korean and I don't speak Korean. You know, that, that is, that's actually really hard to navigate. You know, <laughs> I find that the only culture I really get is actually from my daughter. She's 19 and she is obsessed with K-pop, K-dramas. She has literally Duolingo taught herself Korean. She can read Korean off of, you know, when we go shopping in K-town here. Like, it's amazing. That's my only culture. I I wish I had more time to kind of sit down and dive in a little bit more, but four kids and a million jobs. And I just don't have that. But that's why next year for my 40th birthday, we are going to Korea. Um, I started this process 10 years ago, maybe more, maybe 11. Um, I was in television and commercial print for a really long time. And I was filming with Discovery Channel, a show about them helping me find my birth family and then me helping other people find theirs. Mm. And um, it was amazing. I was getting divorced at the time. I thought this is a great new start. So they did a lot of background checking information about my birth family. Um, They interviewed the kids and I, they got B-roll, you know, of, you know, documents I have. And the last minute I pulled the plug. It was just too many life events happening at one time. Um, so I do know she's alive. She's married. She has kids. I do know the city she's in. Um, I just, and I, uh, her name and things like that, but I just never communicated with her. So I said, you know what, for my 40th birthday, 30th, 40, (laughs) I'm going to go to Korea and try to find her. And my daughter was born on my birthday, same weight, same length. And she's literally my twin. Mm. And it's really important to me. Um, and to her and to my other kids and my husband to just go back and kind of trace those steps. And even if I don't meet her, just kind of being there and immersing in that culture for a couple of weeks, seeing what it's like. That's super cool. I, um, I I really want to hear more about like kind of what you're hoping to accomplish in that trip. But, um, if we, if we go back, one of the things that struck me when you were telling your story was, you you said that your parents, when they adopted you, were like, well, you're white now, which I think is you actually doing some decoding because the coded version of that language is like, well, you're American now, right? And mm-hmm. and I think it's so interesting, like so many adoptees, uh, especially like in the kind of wave that we were adopted in, uh, are, are raised to be quote unquote American, but really the coded language is like white by default. Um, and I'm curious what's been your journey with Koreanness and with being adopted as like a, more than just like a fact of your life, but, um, as a, as a, an identity shaper for you. Uh, I, I think I'm really good at burying things, putting them in a box and not thinking about them. I think that's how I got, you know, (laughs) I think that's how I, you know, survived being a teen mom and then getting divorced and going through all that we went through with the kids. And, you know, I think that I have kind of put it off. And so now I'm really trying to sit and think on it and be with those feelings. Um, That's part of why I said, okay, I've got to mark a date, buy plane tickets and do it, Mm. you know? I think that gets me to really sit down and think in those moments. Um, I don't, and I don't know what I'm expecting. I'm trying to have zero expectations, to be honest with you. I don't want to be disappointed. I just want to go and think this is a great trip to kind of do some digging on where I'm from, 
eat some amazing food, see cool towns with my, my family. And if I happen to come across my birth mother or birth father, that's a bonus. Mm. I'm trying to, I mean, you know, I can say that and totally feel a different way, but I'm trying to label that in my brain as just have no expectation. So no disappointment. Yeah, totally. But, but you know, who knows? <laughs> I think that's a good way to approach it. That's what everybody told me to do when I first went. And my first mm-hmm. trip was not anything like I wanted it to be when I first went. And I don't know if you've listened to that episode. I'm sure plenty of the people listening to the show know what I'm talking about. But <laughs> so I won't <laughs> dive into it anymore because I said a lot about it. But um, it, I think it's really difficult to not to like curb those things. You know, even if I'm like you, I'm, I'm very good. I've become an expert about suppression and repressing yeah. my feelings <laughs> and right. putting that stuff in the box, putting it under the bed. I don't have to look at that. Let me pull the floorboards up, put it down even deeper. Um, but when you're getting ready to do something like a trip like this, you know, I think it's really, really difficult to not find yourself putting those expectations on and, and to not set yourself up for disappointment. And so I applaud you for wanting to approach it that way, because even with everybody telling me from all sides, like, that's what you need to do. I still like would put this on there, put that on there, whatever label you want to put it. I think for you and I think what's really interesting too, is that you have so much of this information because you had been through a really long process to Mm -hmm. potentially set you up to go. And then I think another commendable thing is for you to pull that plug. Because I think for a lot of us, especially with outside influence, feeling like we have to follow that through at that time. And for you to recognize and have the self-awareness of like, I ain't ready to go through this yet, I think is really, really commendable. And I appreciate you sharing that with us. Can you walk us through the process of collecting that information? Because I think it's really interesting how you have so much, that you have like a plethora of it. And I think for a lot of us or a lot of adoptees, we might go back to Korea and start that journey there. And so you're getting information while you're in the country, while you're trying to experience those things. And I think it's a different experience for someone like yourself to have that before you go, because then you can kind of belay those, those expectations a little bit more. Cause you're like, I have this and then I can go chase it a little bit later. Um, so you can, can you walk us through like what that process was like and kind of some of the emotions and things that you were feeling as you were receiving some of this information? Sure. Uh, well, I just want to say first, you gave me a lot of credit for that. And (laughs) Half of the credit goes to my, one of my best guy friends in Atlanta. He's adopted. He's, I think he's 10 years older than I, oh shoot. If he's listening, I don't know. Maybe six <laughs> to eight years older than me. It's like, we're not ages on, yeah, yeah, on the show. It's all good. Sorry, Quentin. <laughs> sorry, buddy. Um, he, Quentin, uh, we love you. Come on the show. Oh, the he's show. the best. He's, oh my, his story. Um, I don't want to tell all of it in case you guys do get him, but he was like, listen, you are not ready. I know you, and this is really heavy shit. And what you're going through is really heavy shit. And I think you need to take a beat and just think about if this is what you want, these two major life happenings at one time. I was like, you know what? I think he's right. I think that this is just way too much for me all at once. And even going through the process of finding all these documents and interviewing and the production company actually did most of it for me, Mm. um, which is really cool. But my dad saved everything. Every letter he wrote he copied it and put it in a folder. Every check he copied, everything. Even if he got a copy, he would save the receipt of the copy. So I had a really thick folder um, and I put all those documents on my phone, the important ones. I tend to look at them kind of often. I think they're amazing. Mm. Um, So kind of going through it, I would get like an update call from my producer. Hey, we found out this. What? And I'd go to a coffee shop and he would, you know, tell me all these things. She's alive. She lives in this city. You have siblings. She's married. Um, she is 53 right now. She was obviously younger then, but um, this is her age. This is, you know, we have nothing on your birth father. He doesn't want to be found. He didn't leave a birth date or a social, which I'm sorry, guys, but I kind of just don't, it doesn't, um, it's not as important to me to find him as it is her. Um, from a mother to a mother, it's just really important for me to find her mostly. Um, so that was actually, that was pretty heavy to sit there and just hear about somebody else learning about my past, mm-hmm. but it was also super exciting. You know, it felt like a crazy journey. Um, and when I told them that I didn't want to do it anymore after weeks and weeks of phone calls and filming and they're like, what? <laughs> I was 
I was like, uh, so I don't think I can do it. Uh, so they went on to keep doing the show and it's called long lost family. And it's, um, on think, I think it's on TLC, but it's only domestic. Um, Mm. but it was a really good opportunity. I just wasn't ready for today. Awesome. I'd love to help Mm. other people find their families, but, um, so does that answer your question? <laughs> yeah, I think it did. And I think it's interesting that they did a lot of that or they did the legwork of collecting that information. Um, yeah. And it, honestly, it makes more sense that now hearing that, that you stepped away because you it's almost like you had a little one, one step removed. Like you were one step mm-hmm. removed from the information as it was coming in. And right. so I think going out and collecting that can, it makes it a little bit more personal, like ties. And like, if you were the one that was doing all of that legwork, maybe at that time, you're like, okay, I got to continue going. And I still think at the end of the day, like stepping away is commendable because everybody expects you to go all the way and to find the answers or find no answers. And then that's Mm -hmm. the story that they want to hear. And so again, I just really appreciate you sharing because it's, we need to hear in our community more stories like this, where it's like, I've taken agency over this journey and I've chosen to step away. And because mm-hmm. adoptive parents, friends, just the general public are all going to want you to, are all going to be asking you the same question probably of, well, why wouldn't you go through with it? And almost all of those people are not going to understand when you tell mm-hmm. them, I couldn't do it at that, at that time. Like we can get it. Adoptees can resonate because it's like, this journey is so personal and can be so lonely and isolating because all of those outside people are trying to influence what you're doing, even if they don't know that's what they're doing. And so I think it's just really important for that. You made that decision at that time, even, and now having had years of reflection and thinking about it, like you are in a better place to pursue, you know, I think that's, I think that's awesome. So thank you for sharing that. And yeah. so during that time, uh, was there any uh, moment where you almost reached out? I mean, it's been about 10 years that you've had the information. Were there any moments where you thought, oh, maybe I should reach out? What made you decide, I guess, right now? Is it the 40th birthday milestone? Um, you know, just tell us a little bit about that. I think so. And I think that my daughter kind of struggles right now with identity. Mm. You know, um, my ex-husband was half Japanese, half American. I'm obviously full Korean. And I feel like she doesn't know who she is. She doesn't have a place. And we talk about this a lot. You know, she has a lot of Asian friends here whose parents are Asian. They speak their respective languages and Kylie doesn't. And I think that, um, it may, it's going to bring us definitely closer together to do this as a mother daughter journey. Um, and I also, I'm worried about time. You know, even though she's still pretty young, I mean, 53 is young. Um, she's not going to be that age forever. And I worry about time. Um, I've watched every documentary on YouTube, everything on anything I can get my hands on. I have watched and a couple of them, the parents had passed away. And that's my worst nightmare is to just miss them, you know, by a couple of years. That was so bad. really, oh just man, three years too late. Found the oh, rest of my biological gosh. family, but not, yeah, my parents had already passed. So, yeah. Yeah. So I know that uh, yeah, see, I'm, Yeah, I'm scared. Yeah. I'm, I'm so sorry. I don't, I just don't, I don't want to put it off any longer. I feel like if this is like on my heart and my, my soul to do this, what am I waiting for? Mm-hmm. You know, like what, what, what am I actually waiting for? I'm in a really mentally thousand times better spot than I was. I have a really supportive family and a really supportive husband who wants to help. So I feel like now's the time. Heck yeah. 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 I wish you great luck on that and hopefully a follow-up so that we can hear more about, uh, about it all for sure. I appreciate so much of your story and I, I appreciate how it's like tied intricately with your journey of motherhood and how like you're going on, like part of this trip is to go with your daughter to go on this journey of identity together. And you wrote something in your form about how... Gosh your journey has helped you really develop the sense of empathy for not only your birth mother, but birth mothers in general. I was wondering mm-hmm. if you could talk a little bit about that and how, cause I, I feel like that connection and being able to build that empathy can be really difficult for adoptees sometimes because, mm-hmm. you know, there's so much complexity wrapped into what it means to be adopted and 
what it means to be relinquished. And a lot of that falls onto the first parents. And depending on what you read, what you watch, who you build community with, it can be really hard to build that sense of empathy. Can you, can you walk us through that journey a little bit of how you were able to build that foundation and, and how that's now extended onto your relationship with your own daughter? Well, I just know the struggles of being a teenage parent. I mean, I got pregnant at 19. She was born on my 20th birthday, so I'm not a teenage mom. But um, I can empathize with what she went through because I Mm. was in college. I was working. I was basically a single mother. And um, that was not easy. And I know a lot of people ask me, are you angry at her? Are you mad? No, I'm not mad. I, I think it's commendable. It's the biggest form of love to say, I can't do this. I need her to have an amazing life. And in my adoption papers, it says that she um, held me for three days and then said, I can't do it. You know, being a 15 year old Mm. girl in a small town, never having gone to past middle school. I feel like that's a pretty mature decision. Even my six year old, he will, he just found out that I'm adopted. I mean, even though he knows my parents and I don't look anything alike, (laughs) he just kind of came to that realization. And he was like, does that make you sad? are you mad at her? I'm like, no, I'm not. And he's like, well, so you have two moms. Does that mean you have two dads? I mean, it's just this whole conversation. (laughs) And I just, I just never have been, um, the type to be angry, even from a little girl. And so making, becoming a mother and being a teenage sort of mother and having a baby on my own and then having three kids on my own and trying to do all this and make it work just gave me a lot of empathy for her. You know, I think like we said before, I think you can only um, be sympathetic in situations like true sympathy when you've been through something, when you see, feel somebody else's trauma and you've felt that same thing. You know, you can feel sorry for somebody else's situation, but when you've been through it, you just truly know the hurt and the pain. Um, Yeah, I think I think that's why. It's interesting, too, that you have as much documentation, like you, you talked about like, oh yeah, I've got like a lot of information about my birth mother or whatever. Um, and not that like, <laughs> not that any of those documents would be like her personal diary about the time that she was pregnant with you or any of that. But I think <laughs> it, it is just like, like for, for so many adoptees, I think, especially like me, my, my birth parents are basically mythological creatures and I already mm-hmm. don't have like a strong mind's eye. So like, even when I read books, all people are just like hazy figures that like are kind of mannequin shaped. But like, when I think about my birth parents, I'm like, I don't, I can't even begin to put them into some sort of context to really garner empathy. And so, um, I imagine it's, it would be pretty easy to just like have your feelings and just be like, well, this is what I feel and someone should deal with it and no one's around to deal with it, you know? And so I think it's, um, and I, I mean, I also, my wife and I don't have kids yet, so I don't have like the, the benefit of like parenthood. Um, but I think that like just being able to get out of your own situation and take that paradigm shift and think through like specifically in this case, your birth mother and her situation, it does, allow for so much empathy and so much sympathy and so much just just understanding and i think one mm-hmm. of the things that's been really interesting as as you've talked and, and shared your story with us is i keep hearing instances where in one way or another your life has forced people to reckon with monolithic ideas that they have about whether it's asian americans or whether it's adoptees or whether adoptees wrestling with like this is how we should feel towards birth family you know any of that kind of stuff and it's been really interesting to hear like just that level of of complexity um and that level of like just difference of, of experience and it's been um it's given me a lot to think about and a lot to reflect on what's the conversation been like um with you, your husband, your children around, I think especially around being an interracial family, um, but like, especially with the nuance of adoption, uh, what has that conversation been been like? One of the things that we say on the show is like, you are 100% you, you are enough, you don't have to caveat your Asian-ness with a butt, like you don't have to like be like, oh, I'm not like I'm not Asian, Asian. You know what I mean? And like one mm-hmm. of my one of the paradigm shifts for me is like actually if I was like third generation American, 
and I probably wouldn't have any understanding of like my language. I wouldn't have any understanding of uh, the holidays or any of that kind of stuff because it would be three generations removed, you know, that, right. that'd be like my great, great grandparents would have been the ones to live in Korea. So, you know, like that's me giving empathy to myself. But what's, what have been those conversations like with your family? Well, it's funny because when we moved to Florida after we got married, um, my husband, somebody said to him, um, oh, you're diluting your race because we were having a baby. And I was like, wait a second, what year is it? You know, what, what are you talking about? And I guess I just never thought of us being an interracial couple. I don't know. I just don't look at him like, Hey, white man, Asian woman, you know, I don't. So, um, that was interesting because we had to sit the kids down and talk about that. Um, and we just, I think, try to lead with love a little bit. I know that sounds kind of corny, but you know, those people obviously don't know what they're talking about and they don't have this wide, vast knowledge of what's going on in the world around them. So we just kind of have to, they're like, just let them do them kind of thing. Um, I haven't felt that here <laughs> in San Diego, that weird interracial couple thing, but that's kind of our only time that that happens. Well, that's a lie. We were in West Virginia. Uh, Matt was working for the Greenbrier. Have you guys heard of the Greenbrier? Mm-hmm. Like a golf resort. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. They have like yes. the bunker underneath they built for the Congress. Anyways, he was there and I was like, where did you bring me? Right. And we walked up and everyone was staring at me and the baby. And I was like, what the heck? And everyone asked me if I was Michelle Wee. So finally, I just started saying, yes, I am Michelle Wee. You know, like it was just. So those are the two main times I can think of where us being interracial has been an issue. You know, they were looking at him like, why did you bring her kind of thing? Um, It's just an open-ended conversation with the kids. I think they always ask and we just kind of answer honestly, but we do try to tell them, you know, sometimes people just don't know and it's their ignorance and things may come out that don't sound great, but they maybe just don't know. You know, I think we all maybe have experienced that growing up with white parents. People just don't know how to talk about these situations and ask questions in the correct form. Yeah. Oh, hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, you said you, you could pick it out because you are adopted and you saw another family that had an Asian, you're like, Oh, you know, there must be adopted, but I don't know how many times in my family I've been asked, Oh, so how do you guys know each other? You know, (laughs) we were just friends on a vacation or or something like that. They're like fast friends. Yeah, we just met. And on a booze cruise. (laughs) I picked up these white people on the way here. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I think it it does start with ignorance. And I think what happens a lot of times is what the next interaction and the interaction that follows. Like, is that person actively learning? Are they changing their language? Are they trying to have a different nuanced conversation or at least reframe their perspective? And that's when you see... When that's when people show you who they are, you know, a lot, there are people that show you who they are right up front and they ain't a bad, they ain't afraid to be, you know, bigoted and racist and homophobic, transphobic, whatever it is, just hateful in general. But I think a lot of people, you know, especially like with, for me, with my parents, it was a lot of conversations. Like they voted for Donald Trump in 2016, like hardcore yeah. conservative Republican. And like, this was pre coming to consciousness for me and i was like oh we about to have a real rocky relationship now and then like to think that we would be able to even get past that point there was a certain time in my life like there's no way i thought there was no way we're going to be able to come back for this and we slowly did and then as i've gone on this journey i've watched my parents grow and change and learn and that's because it a lot of it is layered in ignorance when you grow up in a predominantly white town of five thousand people and there are no other people. There is rare minimum access to anything outside of white culture. Like all you, that's what you're going to know. And mm-hmm. you have to be willing to learn and go through that. And maybe sometimes that is you have, you find yourself in a family that looks different than the normal Midwestern family that you see around you all the time. And even then, maybe it's going to take 30 years before you even really start to go down that path. But we, I think, I wouldn't say we have to, but it behooves us a little bit to meet people with compassion at first 
and then allow people the opportunity to grow. Because sometimes, (laughs) sometimes, um, you know, when we, we can be really protective of our own stories and our own identities and who we are. And it can be really hard to meet folks with compassion. And I think deservedly so, because we Mm -hmm. have not been shown that same compassion for a long time. And when, when we finally get a chance to own our stories and our identities, you know, it's like, okay, this is mine and I don't have time for you to not get it. And hopefully, you know, mm-hmm. at a certain point, people will get it. And I do think that they do to a certain degree. But are we willing to come back to the table and meet them? Sometimes we're not. But sometimes we are. And, and that can lead to real growth and change in, in I think, positive ways. So I appreciate yeah. you naming that. I think that's really important. I mean, even with my own parents, they still, I mean, they called me Oriental until like three years ago. Damn. And I kept telling them, guys, guys, that's a really derogatory term. Like, we got to stop doing that, you know? And I grew up in Georgia, Stone Mountain, where they use the N-word a lot. Not my parents, luckily, but all their friends use the N-word all the time. We'd be checking out groceries and be like, the blank bagged my groceries. I'd be standing right there. Like, how do you not know that that's even offensive to me? Even being like an eight-year-old little girl standing there. I'm like, I'm I'm also different. How How is that okay? You know? So me trying to educate my parents is still happening. And they were just here in April, I think it was. And my mom, for the first time, I'm almost 40, right? First time she said, I'm sorry that we didn't do right by you and Mm. let you know what your culture was like when you were young. And that's like monumental for my family. They don't talk about it. They don't admit wrong. It's just kind of, it is what it is. So I think that's good. They're almost 80 years old. You know, Mm. my parents adopted me late and they're almost 80. And I think a lot of people are set in their ways. It's hard to be compassionate to those people. But if they're willing to listen and open their mind a little bit, they can change. I never thought my mom would say that to me in a million years. And I had to come to the realization growing up, they're not bad people. They just don't know. And once I came to that, I lived a much happier life. I could Mm. have a relationship with them and be okay with them in my life. And that's, that was quite the journey to come to that. But, you know, they only know what they know. Yeah. Well, and I think it's, it's big too, that they've shown signs of change. Like I always say, people will be like, oh, you can't teach an old dog new tricks. And like, you can't teach an unwilling dog new tricks, but you can teach Absolutely. any, any mm-hmm. dog a new trick. You know what I mean? Like for me, it's more just like, why, why would you not pursue being better whenever you can? Like at mm-hmm. some point you get tired and I get that, but like, that doesn't let you off the hook you know? Um, but yeah, I, I think that that's, that's really good to hear. Uh, cause you don't always get stories about, especially no. I think adoptive parents being like, Oh yeah, I'm willing to admit fault. I'm willing to make a change and just apologize. Just be like, I mean, even if you don't like, if, if you, the adoptee has come to a place and been like, yeah, they didn't know just like that apology goes so far in terms of like, what mm-hmm. type of relationship you can have down the road. And I think that that's huge. Um, well, I when said, I got divorced, oh. oh, sorry, go ahead. No, you're oh, good. Sorry. Oh, okay. Well, when I got divorced, um, they being so Catholic, they kind of let me and the kids on our own. They didn't really help. Mm. You know, we were kind of on our own. And so I think I went through those motions of abandonment again. Nobody's mm-hmm. here for me. I'm on my own. And so I had to put some boundaries up with them for many mm. years and they weren't in my life for a long time. And I think that that's kind of what jolted them into looking for change, talking to people, you know, they prayed about it a lot. Um, and now we finally are talking and having a good relationship again. I think because I set up those boundaries, like you will not treat me like this. And it made me feel this way. And until you can make me feel this way where we can't have a relationship, you know, it's tough to do your own family, but I think it's Mm -hmm. beneficial if you want peace in your own life. Your own family. Well, you know, when there's love, then you're like, oh, this feels really bad. And I want it to, to be different. And even though right. I have to, you know, eat crow or whatever, I'm going to have to. Yeah. Cause I, I love you and I want to, want to be with you. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I totally hear that. I think you, you said your 19 year old daughter was the one who was like super <laughs> into Korean stuff. What's oh, the, yes. as you've been adjacent to her, just going hard <laughs> into Korean culture. What's the thing that you're like, oh, this is the most interesting bit of culture that I'm, I want to learn about. Oh gosh. Um, well, I've learned a lot about the food. 
Yeah. Which is really cool. Um, can I, can I tell the opposite end first? Sure. The most concerning thing to me is how all of the girls look alike and mm. all of the, the surgeries they get. Mm. Um, that's concerning to me as a mother because sh- those are her idols. Right. Right. So I'm trying to say it's okay to be tan. It's okay right. to not be 90 pounds. You know, it's okay to not have a nose job at 16 years old. You know, so that part I have a really big problem with. But now learning about skincare, which has become widely popular these days, Korean skincare and just Korean culture in general, the way that they are so um, observant of their ancestors and of adults is not something we have here. That's fantastic. I wish our kids were more respectful to adults. And just, just I think just the culture in general, I really want to learn everything. So going there, I want to spend a lot of time just immersing myself in it, you know? Yeah, 100%. Um, well, specifically the food you said. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Definitely the, the street food. Or the food. I'll just eat oh, my man, I didn't even think about the street food. Yeah, well, we can't offer you those things, but what we can offer you is a little taste of Korea by way of prepackaged snack. So <laughs> we are going to take a break and when we come back. We're going to jump into one of those tasty, delicious prepackaged snacks. So we'll see you in a second. Welcome back to the John Chi Show. It is time for a snack. Snacky time. Um, thank you, Katie, so much for joining us for the snack now. I mean, this is uh, this is great. We love it when we can share a little bit of, of uh, food with uh, with our guests. So I'm glad um, that we have this. And it's, it's one that we've had before, but I have... I've just been noticing every time I've gone to H Mart and stuff that they have a lot of new flavors and a lot of different things that I want to try. And so I think it's good to revisit some of the snacks that we have, including uh, this one, which is Pepero Palote. So, and if people who don't know what Pepero is, it's the little chocolate covered biscuit sticks that, you know, the Japanese form is Pocky. You may have seen the that ja- one too. The Japanese, the Japanese form is Pocky. Form. We leave Pocky. it to our listeners. called Pepero. Yeah. These look delicious, by the way. The, the yeah, but I don't and know I how many the flavors tagline. there are. There's, There's a, a lot. lot. Yeah. But I look at the tagline, say hello with Pepero. I think that's new. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I don't, don't, oh, really? don't remember saying that last time. Yeah. Oh, yeah. man, it's so cute. It's on every box. It is really cute. Uh, I yeah. also noticed uh, on the the bottom corner of ours, it has the 2020 I number was one brand. Literally, Korea. just looking at that nice. from like the Nielsen point of sales ratings. I didn't know that Nielsen <laughs> operated in Korea, but all right, cool. All right, let me cool. check, make sure this not expired because of that <laughs> 2020 label. All right, we're good. We're going through our snacks fairly well. So we we bought sesame white. Um, what flavors do you have, Katie? Crunky, crunchy. Crunky. crunky? Is it crunchy? We don't know. It's somewhere in between. (laughs) We know. It's arguably the best flavor. Yeah, I was going to say, that one is definitely my favorite. But I actually really like sesame. So I'm uh, excited when I saw this one and I thought it was good to try it. Even though it is not Pepperow Day, 11-11. Does yours have crunchy bits on it? Right. It does. It has crunchy bits of sesame. Which I can only assume will be, yeah, it's like little sesame seeds and white chocolate. So, okay, I, I was wondering is, I, what that white was. I'm like, I was getting a little encouraged. I was like, that might be chocolate. It is. Mine is all melted together because Texas. <laughs> so Go Texas. I can't break them apart. I don't want to crumb my pants is the thing. So mine are also melted together <laughs> in well, not uniform fashion. <laughs> now I can only assume that I sent these to you guys during a heat wave, maybe. And uh, yeah, it's hot here in the summer. So. Blame yeah. the U.S. Postal Service. People and, for some reason think we don't get humidity out here. It is very humid all the time. Those are delicious. Oh man! Oh my goodness! So you have, have never had these by. before, Katie? No. I haven't. Mm, nice. Have you had okay. Pocky before? I have. Okay. At the checkout at think? H Mart. <laughs> okay. What do you think about these versus Pocky? Way better chocolate. Mmm. Nice. Pocky chocolate kind of tastes dirty a little bit to me. Yeah, it's a little bland. Right. right? This is way better. Mm-hmm. I agree. Way, way better. Okay, so interesting. The sesame. I love sesame. I am 
Does anybody eat sesame sticks? What? No. No. It's like it's like a little cracker that's sometimes in a mix. Oh, or... actually, yes, oh, yes. I have had I have... sesame sticks before. There's some okay. they're like that's... rectangle. It's like rectangle, yeah. Sometimes mm-hmm. wavy yeah. rectangle or whatever. That's what yeah. this kind of the flavor of this kind of reminds me. It's crunchy, but with the chocolate, I guess, added to it. But it kind of reminds me of that. That sounds delicious. Hmm. I could go for more chocolate, TBH. <laughs> you could yeah. always go for more. I don't love eating it in like one lump like yeah. this. Oh yeah, that's probably too much for sure. I feel um, like one stick is a little bit too much. Sesame, to be honest. Yeah, so I wish I could break it apart, but I literally can't. So <laughs> I'm just pulling it apart in tiny, tiny pieces because that's all I can do. This tastes yeah. like a, a Nestle bar. What is it called? The uh, Crunch mm-hmm. Bar. Mm-hmm. Crunch mm. Bar. I wonder that's now I'm just jealous that you have the good flavors. (laughs) You got the crunky. (laughs) I have four more. Try something different, guys. I know. We can't all eat crunky, although there's lots of crunky flavored things out there. So, um, Mm. yeah, so that that flavor of the the crunch and everything, you can get it in a cookie form. Uh, I think they have a a wafer form. Um, I even saw they had uh, pepperro ice cream bars now, too. Mm. Oh. Yeah. Go How check do I not know? Well, I know. do not send us those. <laughs> if your chocolate bar is melting, I don't think your ice cream has a chance. <laughs> do you guys cook any Korean food at home? Um, they do. Yeah. Nathan maybe cooks the most Korean food of us. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have made a version of kimchi bokumbap or kimchi fried mm-hmm. rice. Mm-hmm. Um, and then just recently my wife and I tried a recipe out of Eric Kim's cookbook, Korean American. That was like a pork plus, uh, quick, uh, green onion kimchi, which was good. Mm. So, but I, that's one of my goals for like, I don't know, the next 12 months is just to make more Korean foods. So, yeah. Yeah, I definitely want to. I definitely cook the least. I try to make kimbap once unmitigated disaster. Um, <laughs> He said and that really just made me feel really just made me feel inadequate and unequipped oh, no. to make That's it hot. but i'm That's also tough, like though. i have the least amount of access to like actual korean ingredients and like ingredients oh. to make the kinds of korean dishes that i want to not that i couldn't uh per se but what i feel like you guys have you a little want bit to more make? i don't know stuff right. what is there <laughs> the i'm making john katsu tonight for dinner <laughs> oh tonkatsu mm. Yeah. Nice. Oh, it's so good. Yeah. No, I I mean, the amount, don't let them fool you. I I cook a little bit of Korean food, um, but not anything compared to the amount of Korean cookbooks I own. I should be be cooking for feasts of people out here, but for some (laughs) reason. Feasts of people. Feasts of people. Mm -hmm. Janchi of people. Janchi of people. Yes. Um, I, I mean, I think I have five cookbooks, and I think I cook like... No, I've cooked one thing out of each of them. So, oh, that's uh, good though. I, I need to, I need to, yeah, I need to branch out more. And, uh, um, and yeah, uh, same for me though, as far as the accessibility. I do have an H Mart, so I luckily can get to the store and get some supplies. Um, but my kids are probably not the most, uh, uh, adventurous adventurous sometimes when it comes to some of the some of the types of korean foods you know because you know so they do have some spice or they have just mm-hmm. a lot of flavor um my wife and i love it but uh yeah my kids are still saying no uh, thank you to kimchi hot dogs and mac and cheese <laughs> no kimchi for me that's a good book by the way so it's one of the oh. children's books. you gotta put oh! kimchi on like a hot dog what what Ooh, that nice that's an off-air conversation Oh, okay. <laughs> it's fine. It's fine. Okay. Um, well, anyways, back to the Pepero. Well, our version is the Sesame White. Um, Katie, you just tried the Crunky, but we'll mm-hmm. we'll let you jump in. I think our anecdotally, I feel like our past ratings are probably like fours and fives for Crunky. But what do you give Crunky out of five? Uh probably a four and a half. Okay. Mm. Well, we'll take it to that. Well, we'll take it to that five. Um, honestly, I'd love it if it was fused together like you guys. <laughs> <laughs> one you could giant just put it all in your mouth yeah. at one time. You know, instead of having to keep reaching, if I could just have like one giant mm. wafer of goodness. Candy, bar. Candy bar person. I like it. Yeah. <laughs> I feel you. That's totally true. <laughs> nice. I feel you on that. Okay. Yeah, there uh, we go. Nathan, 
you were super excited about sesame white. How did you feel about mm, the flavor? Yes. So I do love <laughs> sesame. Um, I am, I would say it is about what I expected. It's not too overly sesame, which is something that I was a little fearful of because, you know, there's different types of sesame oils and some, I feel some sesame oils really just like are overpowering, especially if you use too much. How fearful um, do you think you are? So what? How fear? How fearful do you think you were? <laughs> I was shaking in my seat. <laughs> That's why you heard the creaking of my chair. No, um, it. I would say this is good to the expectation that I had. So I'm going to give it a four, four out of five. I still like Crunky better. Um, mm. So that would be my still my favorite. And I, I would say this one's up there with like the strawberry flavor for me. So that's mm. what I have next. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Nice. <laughs> all right. What I have next. Uh, I give it a four too. Um, I just kind of, I've ate all of mine. I just consistently <laughs> continue to put it in my mouth and <laughs> felt like the chocolate. Oh, I felt like at first the sesame was way stronger than the chocolate, but as I continued to eat and eat and eat, uh, the chocolate definitely superseded the sesame. The box. Yeah. yeah. As I finished my box. Um, bar. Yeah. I mean, I had no choice. It was just all one piece. I had to keep I eating. I like that you were like, yeah, honestly, I just kind of turned my brain off and kept eating. And I, I found that I liked it. I was it just listening to y'all talk and I was it. just like, I'm going to keep eating these. Um, hold the mic up to my mouth while I crunch. Uh, yeah. So I give it a four. I don't, I felt like the sesame was really powerful at first. But again, like as I continued to eat, I felt like it kind of balanced out. And honestly, I thought it was a pretty good flavor. So four out of five would eat again. Uh, I'm going to give mine a three. I think it was fine. Not amazing. Mm. Uh, I don't love sesame, which is surprising given that Kosami crackers are my favorite of all the Korean snacks we've had. Um, Mm. But I don't, I don't love it in this form. Um, There was like a weird taste or smell in it Mm. uh, that I don't know if it's because it was fused together. I did see that the box said store in a cool dry place between <laughs> 64 and 72 degrees fahrenheit jokes on you it's been over 100 for like 27 days in a row so uh, oh, yeah that was never gonna win down here so maybe maybe it's a heat fusion situation that caused it to be less than ideal uh but yeah i, I thought it was fine white chocolate is also not my favorite so uh yeah three for me how dare you not like white chocolate it's I liked it a lot more when I was a kid. And then as I've grown up, I just prefer like basically a hundred percent dark chocolate. <laughs> Any, oh, that's some dark chocolate. I mean, I mean, yeah, like basically I've anything like in the the 70 60s. to 80 range. Oh, even that's like okay. ideal for oh. me. I'm, yeah. I'm in like the Big 60s fan of that. range. But I'm like, okay. oh, it has sugar in it? Great. Let yeah. me put it in my body. <laughs> in large, unnecessary amounts. No problem. Cacao. <laughs> Wait, what? Straight cacao. Oh, I thought you yeah. said straight from the cow. I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> That's where sugar comes from, uh, right? I didn't yes, realize. Well, well yeah. something new. I have to look for the brown cows because that, that's where the chocolate milk comes from. That's where the chocolate milk comes from. Yeah. Them brown cows. I know that. <laughs> I thought you were going to say that's where the brown sugar comes from. <laughs> oh, right. That too. It's fine. All right. oh, that's fine. And, and the polka dotted ones, sometimes chocolate chips. But okay. So, um, <laughs> so we, talking we have about? our ratings. Again, uh, Katie, thank you so much for for joining us and for you know for sharing your story with us and our listeners. If anyone would like to reach out to you or, or talk to you and uh, you know in uh, San Diego, how can they uh, reach you? Uh, Instagram, you can reach out on my Instagram handle. I'm on there a lot. I feel like it's at Katie.Janella. Um, that's probably the best way. Yeah, we've got to yeah. follow up for your trip to, to Korea next year. Yeah, so we're Perfect. plugging the future John Chiso yes, episode. Future, Perfect. Yeah, the future episode, episode, <laughs> yes, episode yes. 275. Get Perfect. back. I don't know if that'll be that one, but that seems like 140. No, that's way too many. <laughs> that's um, way- <laughs> I don't know. With episode record, 200. Episode that might be 200. Right. Yeah. yeah, there we go. Episode 200. All right, putting us on the spot. Um, so, folks, <laughs> if you want to follow along and reach out to Katie, you can do that uh, at katie.janella. We'll also have that linked down here in our show notes. Um, if you want to connect with us on Instagram, you can do so at John Chi Show, as well as any other social media platform, I believe, um, including Facebook, where we have the John Chi Show after party. I think I have no idea if that's still I mean, active. I'm it's not technically in there. still around. <laughs> it exists. It's fine. And um, I found you guys on TikTok. Hey, we're on TikTok. We're on TikTok, TikTok at John Chi Show. I'm TikTok. assuming. <laughs> 
I am on TikTok. Wait, yes. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe I'm I'm in places that I don't want to be, and it's fine. Um, <laughs> if you <laughs> if you want to reach out to us because you can't find us somewhere, but you need to send us a message, you can do so via email to johnchishow at gmail.com. You can also leave us a voicemail at 972-677-8867. Um, if you want to support the show in any way, you can go to our website, johnchishow.com. There is a store. There is a support tab. There's all the episodes if you want to catch up and listen to everything that we've talked about. And if you like what you listen to while you're doing that catch up, we would really appreciate it if you left us a rating or review on whatever player that you're listening to uh, this on currently. Um, What else? I think that's it. If you want to find me, you can do so at Patrick in the world, wherever I want to be found on the Internet. I am at KJ Rilke online, wherever I want to be found. And I am Walk on Instagram and Nathan Nowak on Facebook. Nathan is on Facebook, the only member moderating (laughs) the Chachi Show after party. So please go join Nathan in the after party. He needs needs friends. (laughs) Up our engagement. Uh, Katie, again, thank you so much for joining us, for sharing your story. Really excited to have you back for episode 200 when we have (laughs) some resolution to some of the things and threads and plot lines that we've established here. For everyone else... Until next time, Johnchi. Johnchi. Hey-o. Hey-o.